Heavenly Father, you are good. You are mighty. You are wonderful, Lord. We thank you for this mighty word that stands before us. God, open it. Illuminate your scriptures. God, come alive to us, Lord Jesus. Transform us by your word, Lord God. Transform us more to the image of your son, Lord. Uh, challenge us through your word, God. Bring us joy through it, God. Help us to see things that we've never seen before in your scripture, Lord. We thank you for being who you are, God. Touch people today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Oh, this wind is going. Okay. Praise God for whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. So I intentionally did that. Want to praise God. But what we just did right now, church, we just sang a doxology. That's what that is. This this word doxology is a it's a word that's made up of two Greek words. This is the word doxa, which means glory, or praise and logos, which means word or speaking. So doxology is really speaking praise, right? Speaking praise unto God. And in this, in, in this doxology that we just sang right now, we were singing praise to the triune God, right? And in many churches, when it comes to doxologies, doxologies are normally sung towards the end of a church meeting or prayer. So, for example, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 14, verse 26, when Jesus is um, uh, having the, the Last Supper with his disciples, um, the scripture says that after they had eaten the Last Supper, the scripture says that they had sung a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. So Jesus and his disciples ended dinner. They ended supper with a doxology. They ended supper with a time of praise. That's what a doxology is. And so they normally, or you normally hear doxologies at the end of a prayer. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. Now, what Paul is doing here with this doxology, what makes it a little bit strange or a little bit different here is that Paul is offering up a doxology, a song of praise in the middle of his letter. Think about this. We're in chapter 3, right? This letter is not over. But in, in the middle of this letter, Paul is offering up a doxology. In modern terms, you know what some churches call this, what Paul is doing right here in verse 20 and 21? Some churches will call this a praise break. You ever heard that? A, a praise break. See, a, a praise break happens when the, when the preacher in the middle of his sermon, because of the glory of the revelation that he is seeing from the word, um, he can't hold himself. And so he, he stops in the middle of his sermon and he begins to just worship God and, and the congregation as well. They begin to just go in and praise God. And, and next thing you know, you hear the pianist and she gets going. And next thing you know, you hear the drummer and he gets going and you hear the guitarist and nobody's saying one, two, three, start you just can feel it by the presence of God there's something moving in here and everybody just begins to just worship and to go into praise at the same time it, it is something that is very special and they call that a 
praise break, right? That's a, that's a praise break. And that's, that's what Paul is doing right here. He is, he is in the middle of a praise break because of the glory that God has shown him in the past three chapters. Because in, in chapter one, the Lord showed Paul, he showed us that, that God has chose us right from the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him and how God has predestined us to be sons and daughters, how we have been adopted into God's family. And in chapter one, we also seen how we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit into the fullness of our redemption. And then we also seen in chapter one how the same power that raised Jesus up from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places has also been directed towards us. And then you keep rolling into chapter one to chapter two where we find that we have been, we were dead in our sins and we were separated from God and we were enslaved to the prince of the power of the air. But because God is rich in mercy and because of his great love for us, which he has for us, he made us alive with Christ and he seated us together with Christ in the heavenly places. And we see also in chapter two how God made enemies family because he took these Jew and these Gentiles and he made them roommates who were now they're part of the same house and they are in the same building. These people who were formerly enemies and then he rolls from chapter two and then he goes into chapter three to where Paul begins to describe his calling, this great calling that God has given Paul. And, and Paul describes this role that God has for Paul to go and bring him glory and so that God can display his wisdom to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places and he, that brings us right down to chapter 3 to this prayer where we are. See Paul can't just roll into chapter 4. He, he, he can't just go from chapter 3 to chapter 4. Why? Because in, in chapter 4 there's a whole nother line of thought. See in, in chapter 1 to, to chapter 3 is deals more with orthodoxy, right? In chapter one through chapter three, it deals with Paul describing to us what the gospel is, right? We see God's plan from the foundation of the world. We're getting the fundamental teachings of the church in chapter one through three. But in chapters four and going forward, it deals more with orthopraxy, how you actually live out of your faith. So in light of this doctrine that we have just learned in chapters one through three, chapter four says, in light of what I've learned here, now this is how I must live. That is orthopraxy. And so chapter three and four, is, it's a major shift. And so before Paul rolls into chapter four, Paul goes all Pentecostal on us and he, and he begins to go into this praise break or doxology. And so that's what we find Paul doing here. He's going into this praise break, this, this doxology where he's just worshiping God because God has just, just shown him so much glory in these past three chapters and, and this prayer that he's praying for the Ephesians that he can't just go into chapter four. He has to stop, recognize all that he has just said to the church of these Ephesians, and now he's going into this praise. He's doing this praise break before he rolls into chapter four. And that is this doxology that we're looking at here with Paul. See, th this doxology, I love it. It's really, it's broken up into two sections. In verse 20, you have the section that focuses on God's power, right? Paul says, now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to the power that works within us. So the first part of this doxology is focusing on God's power. And because of his power so great, it, it leads into Paul praising God because of this power. So we see in verse 21, he's now focusing on the glory. Why? He's focusing on the glory because of God's power. So the power of God produces this glory that he says, glory unto God. And so that's how this, this doxology is matched up. He breaks it into power and 
glory unto God because of his great and mighty power. Now let's, let's dig a little bit more into this doxology, how it starts. Paul in this doxology in verse 20, Paul ends his prayer or, or starts his doxology how he started the prayer at the beginning, which is praising God or focusing on God's omnipotence. Because if you look at the beginning of this prayer, look at verse 14. Look at the beginning of this prayer. What does Paul do? In verse 14, Paul begins to point to God's omnipotence because he says this. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. So when he's saying that God is the one who has named every family in heaven and earth, if you recall when we first looked at this, this is talking about God's ability to create, that everything has its meaning, its origin from God. So in this verse right here, Paul is focusing on God's omnipotence, how God is all powerful, and, and he's preparing himself to approach this all powerful God in prayer. And so he's focusing on, on the mighty power of God, how it's his father that I'm now a Approaching, he's the one who has created everything, all the families in heaven and all the families on earth. And so that is what Paul is doing at the beginning of this prayer. Before he goes into his petitions, which we looked at, he, he sets the stage and he focuses on God being this all-powerful and mighty God, which is very similar, church, to how Jesus taught the disciples to pray. Remember the model prayer, right? The Lord's Prayer. How does he teach his disciples? He teaches his disciples praise comes before petition, right? Praise comes before petition because in the first part of the model prayer, he teaches them to give glory to God before they go into asking for their daily bread, before they begin asking for things for themselves. And so that is what Paul is also doing. He's doing the same thing that Jesus is doing. Paul, in the beginning of that prayer or that petition, I mean, not the petition, but at the beginning of that prayer, prayer, he goes to God and he's glorifying God. He's focusing on who God is. He's giving him glory. He's saying, God, you are the one who all families on the earth get their name. And then he, be he begins to go into his petition. And just like Jesus at the end of the model prayer goes and says, thy kingdom come, or he says, thy, thy, he says, thine is the kingdom and thine is the power and the glory forever. Paul is doing the same thing in his doxology, in his prayer. He he's praising God at the end of his prayer. He's giving God glory and he's focusing just on how he started at the beginning of 14 he started by focusing on God's omnipotence and now here at the end of this doxology he's doing the same thing by focusing on God's omnipotence his power that's why he says now to him who is able to do more than we ask or think Paul here is focusing on the omnipotence of God the the power of God his ability to do things beyond that we can ask or even think so it's the same, I just want you to see this model how Paul is praying. He's keeping the same thought. Beginning of 14, he's focused on God's omnipotence, his power. And now here at the end of his prayer, he's back focusing on God's omnipotence, his power. Now, the focus or the question could be, why is Paul focusing on this one attribute, right? Why is he focusing on God's power? Well, the reason would be is that prayer itself involves power, right? When we are praying or making our petition, we are saying, God, I don't have the power or the ability to do such and such thing. So I am coming to you knowing that you are all powerful and thus have the ability to bring what I'm asking to 
pass. See, prayer has everything to do with power. When we are praying, we are saying, God, I am insufficient, but you are beyond sufficient. So at the end of this prayer, this doxology, Paul is reminding the believers that whatever you are requesting, whatever you are asking God to do, God is more than capable of doing. So Paul, in short, is saying that God is able. See, he wants to remind these Ephesians that God can do it. You don't have to doubt. He has the ability within himself. He's the all-powerful God. He's capable of doing beyond um, anything beyond whatever we can ask or think. And this is good for us, church. This is good for us believers because sometimes we begin to doubt God when it comes in prayer. Especially when we're making these big audacious prayer. Some of us in the midst of making that big audacious prayer, we're on our knees praying to God. What begins to happen? Doubt begins to seek in, right? Doubt begins to come in. When you're, when you're making that big audacious prayer, you're, you're praying big and grand. And you're not just going to little small things, but you're praying for, for God to do big and mighty things. What begins to happen? Doubt begins to come in. Like, can God really do this? Is God really hearing me? But thank God by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul that he is aware of our human frailties. And so he's sending the Apostle Paul to remind us that God is able to do far beyond what we ask, what we can verbalize, or even what we think. I love that. Even what we think. And, and, and think about what Paul just prayed before he came to this verse in verse 20. Paul just prayed that Christians will be given supernatural strength by the Holy Spirit in their inner person so that Jesus would come and make his home in our hearts through faith. That was his first petition. And then he's praying that the Ephesians will have such a closeness with God that they would, that they would know the love of Christ, that they will be able to comprehend the dimensions of his love, and not only to comprehend the dimensions of his love, but also to experience it and know it with, with, and, and ultimately have the fullness of God, the divine presence working and dwelling in them in a bodily way. Do you realize how audacious Paul's prayer is? He prays in verse 19 that we will be filled with the divine presence bodily. That is a huge, huge audacious prayer. Paul is saying, I don't just want you Ephesians to know God, to have an intellectual understanding of God, but I want his full presence, that the, the bodily presence of divine presence of God dwelling in you in a fullness sense. That is an audacious prayer. That is not a simple prayer. That is something that is, that is hard. And so Paul is here reminding the saints that yes, you can pray big prayers like that. Look what I just prayed. I just prayed that you will have the fullness of God dwelling in you. See, I I can imagine that after Paul finished doing verse 19, I can imagine some of the Ephesians saying, yeah, right, right? I can imagine some of the Ephesians, after they're reading Paul's letter, they, they're, they're, they begin to roll their eyes when they see Paul say, you can be filled with the fullness of God. They're like, yeah, right, Paul. I, I know God loves us, but this level of intimacy that you're talking about, this level of knowledge that you're talking about, I, I, don't, I don't know, Paul. And that's, that's even some of us here today. When you, when you read this prayer, you don't really believe, some of us, we really don't believe that God is able to do these things. But this verse says that God is able to do far beyond we, of what we can ask or what we can think. 
far beyond it, church, that Paul is saying. He's saying that God can go far beyond what we can ask or what we can even think. And, and, and I love this word that he says, think. Far beyond what we can think, what you can even conjure up in your mind. And the reason I think that's a big point to bring out here is because sometimes in prayer, church, maybe it's due to grief, maybe it's due to a lack of faith, but sometimes our prayers, they don't even make it to the verbalized stage, right? Sometimes we're, we're just so hurt, we're, we're so disappointed in some things in our life that we can't even conjure up the words and begin to verbalize and say to God to hear our prayer. Right? We just get so broken down, but the Holy Spirit is here through the Word saying that, yes, that too. That, that thing that you can't even verbalize, that you can't even go and speak before God, that you feel so scared to do that. Yes, God is able to even go far beyond that. that. That thing that you're just thinking about in your mind, that you haven't even said to anybody else. Yes, God can go far beyond that. That is, in, that is such an encouraging word, church, for us. And I pray that this is an encouraging word for you because I know like some of you, like, some, like me, we have people in our family that we have just thrown a towel in, right? We have just totally lost hope. We, we was like, I've been praying about this person for years and they're so lost in the world that I kind of just gave up hope. But when that thought becomes in your mind, you have to go and repeat to yourself that God can do far abundantly then I can ask our things. See, those are the words we have to begin to repeat to ourselves when we begin to pray those big audacious prayers because the enemy is going to come in and say, no, nah, you can't pray that type of prayer. No, nah, God is not hearing you. And you got to remind yourself and say, no, that God can do far more abundantly than I ask or even think. These are the words, church, that you have to repeat to yourself when you go to the Lord in prayer, when the enemy comes and throws those darts. See, there's so many people, I'm sure, that you've been praying for constantly that you just kind of threw in the towel. But no, the word of God says that God can do abundantly more than we ask or think. And because we know that, we cannot throw in the towel on nobody. Nobody. And I say that from personal experience because I have a relative of mine who is really wrapped up in the homosexual lifestyle. Some of my family members, you guys know who I'm probably talking about. Um, this person has been so ingrained into homosexuality um, that, just being honest, I've doubted if God could even like renew and make this person new. Because they, they're so deep in it for so many years, and I'm like, God, if you can change them, man, that's all you need to do. And that's going to convince everybody. I mean, it, it's just like they, they've been so ingrained into that sinful lifestyle where I just began to doubt if God can do it. And, and again, I'm sure that some of you, you have family members or loved ones that are so lost to drugs, so lost to addictions that you kind of gave up hope. But I hope that this verse reminds you that even the things that you just think that it's just far beyond that God can't do, God can do it. He can do it to those, those lost cousins. He can do it to those lost relatives. He can do it to that lost auntie, that lost uncle that you say, man, they are so far gone in this world. God's word said that he, he's able. He's able to do far beyond what we can ask or think. 
And I hope that's really an encouraging word to you because it's been an encouraging word to me as I've gone throughout and, and I, I felt that doubt come in and I reminded myself, no, God can do far more abundant than I ask or think. I had to constantly repeat that to myself as doubt begins to come in. And so that's something, church, I really hope that you take to heart and repeat to yourself that no, God is able, as Paul is telling these Ephesians. And you know what the proof really is that to know that he is able to do far beyond what we ask or think, the proof, church, is, is you, if you didn't know that. You're the proof that he can do far beyond what you ask or think. See, all born-again born believers should know that we are the proof because we were the ones. We were the lost causes, right? And God came in and made us alive, right? We were the ones that some people were praying for and thought we were gone and they threw us away. But yet God by his power came in and made us alive. He came in and gave us new life. He came in and gave us a spirit. He came in and opened our eyes. See, we were that same person. So you already know that power. And that is why we can't go and throw in the towel because you've already met this power that Paul is talking about here. You know it. See, for some of you, you would say, no way years ago did you ever see yourself at church on Sunday. You would say, no way did I ever see myself regularly reading the Bible. Some of you would say, no way years ago would I ever see myself memorizing scripture and actually trying to live out scripture. See, you would say, no way would I ever see myself at church with my hands lifted up and my voice high and I'm praising the God. No way. See, that seemed impossible for you way back then. But the power of God came through. Ephesians 2 happened to you because you, you met the power of God and he changed you. So that means that God is able. You know his power. That's why Paul said the power that is working in you, you, you know that power. You've met that power already. And if you need more proof of that, that God's power is able, just go back and think about uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19. Where the Apostle Paul said that the same power that raised Christ up from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power, he says that is the same power that has been directed towards us. And he said that that same Holy Spirit power that, that raised Christ up from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places, guess what? That's also the same power that created the universe from nothing. That's also the same Holy Spirit power that hovered above the waters in Genesis. That's also the same Holy Spirit power that created the sun from nothing. That is also the same Holy Spirit power that created the skies and the moons and plants and animals without a blueprint. See, it's that same power. So if you're wondering if God is able, if he has the power to do those things that you think seem impossible, just go and look at nature. That's the power of God right in front of you. You know he is able. If God can create a rainbow, guess what? He can save your drug-addicted cousin or friend. If God can create a, a zebra, guess what? He can save that relative that you think that is lost out there. See, that power that Paul is talking about here, you know it. You've met that power. You've seen that power in creation. And the beautiful thing about what Paul is saying with this word power, it's actually written in, in the present tense. When Paul says the power that is in you, that's a right now power that is working in you right now. That power, guess what? That is sanctifying you and making you holy and driving you to pursue Christ. Guess what? That is the same power that Paul said that God can use to do those things that go beyond what we can ask or think. See, that's the power. You know it. You've met it. It is right now constantly working in you. 
is right now sanctifying you. Paul saying it's that power from our God. That's the same power that he uses to do those things that go beyond what you can ask or think. As Paul transitions from, oh, sorry, the wind blew my book here. There we go. As Paul transitions from the power portion of this doxology, the power that is now working in us, he goes to the glory section of this doxology. Now when I'm reading verse 21, I'm just being honest, when I'm reading verse 21, I'm wondering, is this verse even necessary? And what I mean by that is, of course all glory, Paul says in verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. When I'm reading 21, I'm saying, Paul, do you even have to write this verse? Of course, the one who can do abundantly beyond whatever we can, we can ask or think, of course all glory should go to him. Like, Paul, do you, do you even have to write this? But Paul writes it. Paul writes here in 21, he, he, his prayer and his hope is that glory will be to God in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Meaning Paul is praying that not only in our church, in the ecclesia, in the assembly, that we will constantly glorify God, but also you in your personal life, you who are in Christ. Paul is praying that forever and ever the true believer will glorify God. And it goes like, Paul, of course, why would the true believer not glorify God? It just seems so apparent that that would happen. But Paul here understands that we have this human flesh. We have this human frailty. And even though we are born again believers full of the Holy Spirit, we can sometimes misplace glory. And so Paul is using this verse here in verse 21 to remind us where the glory truly belongs. He says, now unto him. Because again, we can often replace glory. And we've seen that in Paul's day and we've seen it in our day. For example, in Paul's day, you had some members in the church in Corinth, for example, they forgot who the glory belongs to. They forgot who the power source was. And so I love how the old King James put this. You had some people in the church would say this. This is in 1 Corinthians. Chapter 1, they were saying this. Some said, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I am of Cephas. See, at that time, they forgot who their power source was. They forgot who the glory belongs. And that is just like us. We can easily forget that. And so Paul is here in verse 21, even reminding us believers to where the glory should belong. And I love how Paul corrects those Corinthians. Paul says, was I crucified for you? See, Paul in there, he, he's getting them to redirect their glory to where it should belong, which is God, which is Christ. See, we can misplace power. I mean, we can misplace glory. We can begin to give the glory even to ourselves. Some of us will begin to give the glory to ourselves when we begin to have success in this world. We'll say, oh, it's my hard work or my determination. Even right there, you are misplacing the glory and not giving it to who it belongs. So this is why it is very important that Paul reminds us in 21 that the glory belongs to God, not just now in this generation, but throughout all generations. Why? Because we can misplace God's glory and give it to someone else and not give it to the one who truly deserves it. We also see that happening with Israel, right? 
God brings Israel out. He brings them through the Red Sea. He takes them out of bondage. He sets them up. He brings them to the promised land. He, he gives them kings. He gives them success. But what happens? They begin to misplace glory. They begin to worship false idols. They begin to go their own way. See, we can misplace glory. So Paul there in verse 21 is reminding us, again, where the glory should ultimately belong, where it should be. Another example, if you look in the, for, I'm just giving you like the Catholic Church, for example. The glory in the Catholic Church is not God. The glory, what? It's the Pope, right? Th that's what you hear about. And if it's not the Pope, it's the Virgin Mary. Or it's many of the, the saints that the, Catholic, uh, the Catholics worship. See, again, you can misplace glory. You can begin to glorify something else. And so that's why Paul is not being redundant. And he's not being elementary by reminding us in 21 where the glory belongs. He says it belongs to him for all generations. And not only are the Catholics the ones who can misplace glory, but we in a Protestant tradition, we can as well. We have replaced the Pope with the preacher. Sometimes we get so addicted to the pastor's anointed uh, teaching that we begin to give them glory. Uh, we begin, I, I heard a preacher say that um, it's a problem when you, if, the, if after you preach and you drive home and the people are talking more about your sermon than the God of the sermon, that's a problem. And that's what happens. We misplace glory. We forget about the God of the sermon and we focus so much on the preacher and who he is. Again, we are misplacing glory. And not only do we worship our preachers, but we can also worship doctrine. You can have some people that go and preach the gospel of reformed theology. Not the gospel, but the gospel of reformed theology. I've heard that. Where the focus is just on the reformed tradition. See, there is no power in Martin Luther. There's no power in John Calvin. There's no power in John MacArthur. There's no power in Tim Keller. There's no power in Paul Washer. There's no power in John Piper. There's no power in none of the celebrity pastors that we like. None of them can do far more abundantly than we ask or think. It is only God. And so that's why Paul is right in reminding us where the glory belongs. Not just, again, not just in this generation, but in all future generations to come. Paul says the glory belongs to God. And he ends his doxology with an amen, meaning let this come to pass according to your will, God. That you will remain the center in the church. That you will remain the one who receives all the glory. That's how he ends his prayer here. That's how he ends his doxology, focusing on God. He starts his doxology by focusing on God's power, his omnipotence, to do anything beyond what we can ask or think. And he ends it by focusing on the glory because of this power. So Paul is using God's power to bring him to worship in God for his glory. You get you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the power that is motivating Paul to say we should be worshiping this God. So that is my encouragement to you just as Paul is praying here. It's about God, church. It's about him and his glory. It's his power. He can do way beyond anything you ask or think. Don't be so timid and scared to go to God thinking this is maybe too big, like you have a small God. No, you have a big God. So you got to go to this big God. 
And Paul is, he's given us room to go to this big God. That's, he, he's given us room by saying he can do more than you ask or think. So don't be afraid, little children. Go, go with big audacious prayers. Go and pray that God moves on our city. Go and pray and God convert those who we've been praying for. Go, he can do beyond that. You haven't even scratched the surface yet. He, he's beyond that. See, that's the encouragement that Paul has given us here. Worshiping God in a doxology. Let us do that, church. Pray for your body. Pray for the body, this body of Christ, as, as Paul is praying for these Ephesians. But also pray for the other churches out there and other believers. Go to the Lord audaciously with big, big prayers. Praying and knowing that he can do it. And when the enemy comes and throws those darts and make you begin to doubt, go and repeat to yourself, no, he's able to do abundantly more than I ask or think. No, he's able to do abundantly more than I ask or think. Repeat that self, repeat that phrase to yourself when that doubt in the enemy comes in. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for opening up our prayer led to go and just pray audaciously big prayers, knowing that you hear us, knowing that we are your children. Thank you, Lord. Oh God, do mighty things for your namesake and to your glory, Lord God. God, let this word stay on the hearts of my brothers and sisters, Lord, as they go throughout their day. God, remind them that they can go big, that they can pray big, Lord. That you are a big, big God and you can handle whatever we throw at you, Lord. We thank you for inspiring this word, Lord God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit inspiring Paul to, to write these words, Lord. To fight against doubt when we come to you with big prayers, Lord. And thank you, God, that you can go beyond what we even speak, Lord. That you know what we're thinking and you're saying, yes, I can do that too. Oh God, you're mighty, you're wonderful. We love you, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.